calling all partners. Losing weight is better together with Nutrisystem's Partner Plan. In fact, people who diet together lose 20% more weight than dieting on their own. Get new premium meals with up to 30 grams of protein. They're big and filling and taste delicious. Plus, try our new restaurant faves that taste like your favorite restaurant portioned with half the calories. Don't wait. You could win big cash during Nutrisystem's Better Together Partner Plan 100K giveaway. And maybe win the grand prize of $25,000. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off your first month. You heard me right. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Don't wait. This partner plan offer will not last long. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin. See website for details on our two-month subscription offer. No purchase necessary. Open only to U.S. residents over 21. Void where prohibited. Runs December 25 through April 4th, 2022. For official rules, visit Nutrisystem.com. Sponsored by Nutrisystem, Inc. Warning. All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. What? In my opinion, I would have been justified in shooting. But with today's kangaroo court for cops, they would have said, this is what the papers would have said. Skid Row cop who claimed to love the homeless shoots unarmed 19-year-old black boy who wanted to be the president of the United States. And then somewhere in the fine print, <laughs> you'll find tape sh- uh, black tape shaped like a gun. That's what we're dealing with today. People need to, before you riot, before you destroy, before you villainize or engage in demagoguery against police officers, with every incident, they stand on their own, wait for the facts to come out. And you'll find that in some of these instances, officers agree with you. Just people don't give us a chance to speak about it. Because once again, they want one narrative. We're all evil. Like I said, all cops are racist. All cops are racist. And once again, it's, it's doing more damage than good. There are more good cops than bad. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. I wouldn't do this profession if it wasn't true. Wasn't it in Seattle where a social worker was killed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, once and where I work, uh, they call us all the time. And I, I get out there and I handle a mentally ill person better than the social worker because, why? Well, a, I've established a rapport with them. But there's even those times where someone has, there's a chemical buffer between us and the person in crisis, that, 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 that narcotic, narcotic buffer. And uh, even the most best trained mental health clinician, best trained police officer can't get through. And sometimes you have to get them detained and in control before you can get them to services. And I, I want to talk about how we can change the system because as it stands now, there is no, th- th- this is not going to, this is going to metastasize. It's going to get better. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. So this is how we change the system. Currently, this is the tool law enforcement has, and that's a 72 hour hold or 14 day hold, depending on how severe their, uh, their, uh, uh, symptoms are. And that's wrong. And that's also what people in the general public doesn't understand. It's not even 72 hours. You tell me you're going to kill yourself, you're going to kill somebody else, or you demonstrate that, or you're gravely disabled. We take you to the hospital and you're only there for six hours. They sprinkle pills on you in the name of civil liberties and kick you out of the street, right? 
But what's the problem there? The person is still addicted to drugs. So they go outside, they use more crack, and then the door revolves over and over again. So this needs to change. Uh, and this is where we need civil liberties groups and police and fire department and mental health experts who are great. Uh, I love our mental health expert, expert to come to the table. And let's talk about expanding that to about four to six weeks. Here's why. Uh, someone who's been uh, picked up multiple times within a year, four to six weeks works. Why? Because you first, common sense have to detox them. You have to get the drugs out of their system for them to even be able to hear you. Then what the public needs to understand is it takes anywhere from four to six weeks for them to even benefit from the therapeutic attributes of the, narc of the medication, the good medication, to help stabilize them. Once you have that down, now the experts, who I think do a really good job of developing a report, develop that report, find out who their loved ones are, and let's streamline the process of conservatorship, right? So it doesn't take so long. One of the most heartbreaking stories I ever had was a family from Indiana who's been looking for their daughter who ran around uh, Skid Row butt naked with peanut butter in her hair with her knife. You know, and oftentimes we would pick her up and she even showed up to court with peanut butter in her hair. It was like, if that's not a clear sign of help, I don't know what is. So one day we did pick her up and I called the parents and said, hey, we have your daughters. They were in town. They rushed to get to the hospital. And guess what? They let her go in six hours. Now we had to start the process all over again of trying to find her. Who's failing those people? Is it the police that they're trying to blame it on or is it the system? And we have to look at it that way. There's a, some systemic fixes that need to happen uh, before we start releasing these individuals into the street. Well, you guys that are there on the front lines honestly need to be telling these stories more often because I, I think the, the narrative that's out there that's dominating uh, the news, the social media, everything, again, is that the cops are the problem. And right. anybody that walks in, they got a big they got a big badge and a big gun and an attitude. And that's the whole the whole problem. And, mm -hmm. you know, I say that with tongue in cheek, but right. um, I, I, I'm former military. And so I obviously experienced a, a small degree of what you're talking about. But being the scapegoat right now, that's where the focus is. And Again, that's one of the reasons that I started this this podcast is to be able to interview guys like you and and especially the people that uh, may not have as much of a platform as you do. I think you're taking mm -hmm. advantage of like LinkedIn, especially. I don't know what other kind of platforms you're on, but just having this podcast to me helps expose the problem. And until right. we're actually all honest and upfront and willing to sit, like you said, sit down on the table and actually mm -hmm. say, okay, here's the actual problem. And here's where the holes are of right. what you're talking about. You have this policy of, uh, you know, releasing people within six hours. And it, I personally, I think it all comes down to money, but what yeah. they do, it, well, and there, there's another interesting phenomenon that I've run into is that there's lots of agencies that operate in a silo. And I think government as a whole has a tendency to do that. You know, a corporation, because it has to run efficiently, can't operate in a silo. Everything has to be connected. But the right. government government can do that. And so you have the police over here. You have law enforcement over here. You have the medical system over here. You have mm -hmm. uh, social sciences or, the, you know, the social workers here and politicians are over here kind of sprinkling their dust on everything and trying to make it all happen. Well, right. the problem is it's when you operate in a silo like that and you're not a congruent and synergistic efforts, then mm -hmm. what they do may affect you negatively and what you do may affect them negatively. And yet everybody has the same goal. Mm -hmm. 
And so, how you know, the, I want to give problems, you a little, yeah. It, well, just yeah. to, to finish my thought really quick, the sorry. synergistic, or I'm sorry, the uh, systemic problems that you're talking about, I think stem from that. And absolutely, a big part of it is you guys are not allowed to have a, a, a place at the table in order to actually inform, especially the politicians mm-hmm. who are making these policies. Mm-hmm. And yet they are completely uninformed on what is actually happening. Right, right. You're going you're, you're gonna to learn more from the boots on the ground than anybody who's just reading it from a 30,000 foot view or in a book. Uh, I always tell like even college students, I said, look, we all know that two plus two equals four. But what you guys are forgetting is when you throw a variable in there, it completely changes the equation. And the boots on the ground, they know the variables. And what you were talking about with that synergy, working with other agencies, we demonstrated that from 2005 to 2010 uh, with an initiative we, we uh, engaged in to reduce crime and it rolled 40%, reduced death 30%. And we literally had other city families, mental health, uh, other uh, homeless agencies literally working in tandem with us, uh, tree trimming, uh, street sweeping, whatever. We all worked together and that actually reduced crime by 40%. It made it better. It created an environment where people could actually change. And here's the positive changes from that. Now that the people had a cleaner, safer environment from all of us working together in Synergy, as you said, guess what happened? We had more people graduating from drug programs, more people choosing shelter over the streets, uh, more people going back home to their loved ones because uh, let you in a little secret, in my opinion, about 30 to 35% of the population of people in my area that live in the streets are not homeless. They can go home at any time. They're just down there because they can party, they can do what they want, and mom and dad can't say anything about it. Uh, uh, so you're absolutely right. When you remove any aspect of a city family from the table, especially those who are touching the issue like no one else, uh, you are destined to fail. So we got to stop treating law enforcement agencies like the redheaded stepchild of city families. And, and because there are a lot of police officers who really care. And if you talk to the boots on the ground, uh, you're going to learn so much. You're going to learn so much. Uh, trust me, there's college professors who learned a lot uh, when they did allow themselves to uh, meet with me and hear the other side. Well, now that's virtually impossible. And that's why I really uh, try to focus on uh, uh, talking to law enforcement agencies and getting them to uh, uh, better express or explain what they're trying to do for the community, not to the community. Uh, again, the wisdom that you're speaking about right now, to me, I think I think the majority of society's problems could be solved if they would just allow the people that are actually on the front lines. Our first responders have wisdom that anybody from the 30,000 foot view, including politicians and professors, and they, they just have no clue. There's one there's one thing that I really want to touch on here, and that's um, I of all the people that I've talked to, it, meaning all the police officers, detectives, you know, especially guys that have been in the forces for 15, 20, 25 years. Nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. And the number of of guys that I've talked to where they're like, you know what, right now. Well, in fact, I, I was just on uh, uh, we had a, every Wednesday night we have a, a clubhouse uh, room. I don't know if you had, are on Clubhouse or not, but it's it's almost like an open panel. And one mm-hmm. of the people that were on the panel was a, a homicide detective out of Indianapolis. And mm-hmm. she was talking about where 10, 15 years ago, when you had open positions, you'd have a thousand people applying for them. Mm-hmm. And now you might have 
200 or 300. And so right. the, the number of people and, and the, the difficulty in actually filling positions in, in order mm-hmm. to have the, the force structure that you need in order to do effective policing is going way down. And obviously a lot of the uh, villainization that if that's even a word, but a lot, a lot of the demonization that is happening with law enforcement in general is causing that early retirements and people le- just leaving the the profession as a, it, just leaving it for, it's like, it's such a hostile work environment. I'm Mike Morford and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac Killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. It's like, holy cow, you know, how, how can a mayor literally villainize his own police department? But it happens. And it happens. It happens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Well, but, but, one of the things one of the things you touched on was uh, uh, bad cops. You're right. Uh, like I said, there's a negative exception in law enforcement, and any law enforcement officer who tries to tell you that we all walk on water and we can do it all wrong, they're wrong. Uh, we know they exist because we're paying for their sins, uh, and that frustrates me to no end. But what I try to get communities, whether they're college students or people in communities of color, is there's good and bad in everything. As long as there's human beings wearing a badge, somebody's going to disappoint us on. Disappoint us all. There's 700,000 police officers. Somebody's going to disappoint us. But I also say, why don't you have this same frustration with doctors and teachers and, and the military? Uh, I, and, I, and I'm not knocking doctors, teachers, or the military. I'm just pointing out examples where these are professions where they have the lives and the minds of people in their hands. Let me give you some stats. Uh, in one year, uh, doctors in the medical profession, and I love doctors, I think they're fantastic killed 250,000 individuals due to malpractice, uh, accidents, and misdiagnosis. Uh, The majority of the people that died were people of color. No outrage. No one's asking to defund doctors. No one's asking to take away their protections. And if you take away a doctor's protection, he is not working. That's the truth. Uh, teachers, we, I know I love teachers. I think it's an honorable profession. I know most teachers are doing a fantastic job. It seems like every other week we see a video of, or, or something on the news of a teacher uh, having sex with their 16-year-old student or another teacher having sex with 28 first graders. But no one's calling for the defunding of teachers. You know, uh, a lot of teachers are like, we don't get any funding. I said, okay, well, let's just cut you guys anyway. But, you know, <laughs> you know, nobody's calling for that. Neither am I. Neither am I, because I know how hard it is to be a teacher and what, what a noble profession it is. Even the military. I love the military. I have family in the military. My father was a veteran. I have uh, an honorable rule of our military who go out and do uh, what they do to keep us America, to keep us free. But let's not pretend that there weren't great atrocities committed by the negative exception. Uh, and, and when I put it like that, it's the same thing with police officers. We go out, we're human beings. Uh, our job is as unpredictable as human humanity is, and we're human beings doing it. 
And, uh, and there are people who have disappointed me to no end. Uh, and uh, we're, we're just as disgusted by a lot of the things. And I'm going to give you an example. Uh, what happened to George Floyd? And I got a lot of flack for this. And a lot of people say, oh, well, he died from fentanyl or whatever. Okay, whatever you, whichever way you feel, he passed away. There's no excuse for keeping your knee on a man's neck for nine minutes, three of those minutes after he passed away. I can't justify that. I won't even try. So if I get blackballed by some, I don't care. What happened to Walter Scott was a crime. When I saw it and when all my fellow officers saw it, we said, this is a crime. Uh, when What happened to um, uh, Laquan McDonald and Oscar Grant? Uh, those were crimes, but I'm sorry. Uh, we have to give some officers the benefit of the doubt in the form of Darren Wilson, uh, you know, who we, I understand what happened to Mike Brown, Mike Brown based on the totality of the circumstances. I understand what uh, happened to Al Alton Sterling. And, and, and so uh, we can't just take every shooting and say they're all murders. We can't do that, you know, because once again, our jobs are very difficult and fear is real. A lot of people have the misconception that if you're a police officer, you can't have fear. That is a lie. Fear is what protects you out there. I'm going to give you one example, and I know I'm long-winded, but your boy, Officer Joseph, would have ended up in the newspaper about several years ago. I was leaving the station, and I was off duty, and I was going home. I was in my uh, uh, plain clothes, and I make a left onto Fifth Street. Fifth Street is completely black. All the street lights are out. And I was driving down the street, and the only light that was available was the moonlight. And as I get to the mid-block of Fifth Street between Maple and uh, Wall, I see a lot of people running, homeless people, gang members, old people. Everybody's just running eastbound while I'm traveling west. And I roll my windows down to see what the heck's going on. And they say, he's got a gun. He's got a gun. And I'm like, who's got a gun? I can't see. It's dark. As I get further down the street, I see a figure of what appears to be a, very, a young man running around with a gun in his hand, waving it. But I couldn't really tell what it was, but I see everybody running and screaming, totality of circumstances, right? As the young man gets closer, he sees an old man. The old man had to be 70 years old. The old man comes down the stairs to the sidewalk. The young man points something at the old man's head. And when I look, the light from the hotel, that looked like a freaking gun. That was a gun to me. Old man runs up the stairs like, like he's a track star. The kid chases him up the stairs. Next thing you know, you see the old man rolling down the stairs, getting up and running like Carl Lewis, eastbound, screaming, he's going to kill me. He's got a gun. This kid, young African-American male, chases the old man and puts this gun to his head. And I stop my car and I get out and I'm pulling out my off-duty weapon and I was going to shoot this kid. Not because he was black, not because he was young, not because he was homeless. Because I saw him pointing a gun at an old man. said, the only thing that saved that kid's life that day was because I wasn't used to pulling my duty off-duty weapon out and I hit the frame of my my uh, car. So when I pointed the gun, my gun at him, the kid runs to the back of my station. And at the back of my station, there's a light that shines. And I see this kid throw the gun into the planter. I get out of the car and some officers came and back me up. We prone him out. And I reach into the planter and I pull out black duct tape that was perfectly shaped in the form of a gun. Wow. What, now, in my opinion, I would have been justified in shooting. But with today's kangaroo court for cops, they would have said, this is what the papers would have said. Skid Row cop who claimed to love the homeless shoots unarmed 19-year-old black boy who wanted to be the president of the United States. And then somewhere in the fine print, <laughs> you'll find tape, uh, black tape shaped like a gun. 
that's what we're dealing with today. People need to, before you riot, before you destroy, before you villainize or engage in demagoguery against police officers, with every incident, they stand on their own, wait for the facts to come out. And you'll find that in some of these instances, officers agree with you. Just people don't give us a chance to speak about it. Because once again, they want one narrative. We're all evil. Like I said, all cops are racist. All cops are racist. And once again, it's, it's doing more damage than good. There are more good cops than bad. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. I wouldn't do this profession if it wasn't true. 100%. I absolutely agree with you. And frankly, as a, as a, a man that, you know, my, my entire job is to support you guys. Obviously, I want to sell my equipment and, and run a business and, and make a profit. But if it, it, again, my entire, my entire life is supporting law enforcement and, and helping you guys solve cases. And if you, if you were honestly as, as evil as the, the press and some politicians depict you guys, there's no way I'd be able to do, I'd find something else to do. Right. And right. I, I, the interesting thing about how you guys actually identify the bad cops is I think the major factor that is often ignored because even, even when there's, when there's a bad cop, it's usually some kind of a major incident when he actually, you know, becomes and reveals himself. And right. to me, that's the, the problem is as a, as a, a law enforcement officer, that's usually a major incident and it's, and sometimes people get hurt. And, you know, it, like in the case of George Floyd, it was it, not only did, did a man die, but it was all caught on camera. And that incident alone, I understand the, the, the frustration and the rioting and, and I, I understand it. I don't agree with it, but uh, somehow that, that kind of, I don't know, that violent reaction to anything that goes wrong with policing. Cause like you said, it, it, you can have a perfect society. You can have a perfect organization. And the minute you put anybody in it, any human in it, it becomes imperfect. Absolutely. Well said, well said. Uh, you know, uh, just like you said, with the whole George Floyd thing and back, I found out about most bad cops on the six o'clock news, just like you guys. I, I find out by waking up in the morning on Facebook and seeing some video, 25 years of doing policing uh, in a department with about nine to 10,000 people uh, working directly with about 1200 people over 25 years. I only witnessed two acts of misconduct, like two real obvious, you know, you, you can't look away acts of misconduct. And, and unfortunately uh, that doesn't get the ratings. Me housing 150 homeless people doesn't get ratings. Uh, one of my partners uh, helping families in uh uh, in a uh, project in my area, uh, get social security or another partner of mine helping vets and forget about the, the touchy feely stuff, just the officer stopping that drug dealer from bringing drugs into your community, you know, or stopping that drunk driver, uh, those things uh, without killing him, which happens the majority of the time that doesn't get the press. Uh, unfortunately, what gets the press is, is the sensational stories and, and, uh, people, people gravitate more towards the sexy, the sensational, than the truth. And it's not only hurting them, it's hurting us, it's hurting them. It's, it's just having a disastrous effect. You know, a lot of people, the number one question I get asked a lot on Facebook, why don't you go after the bad cops? Well, actually, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a plumber. You know, do you know plumbers who've uh, uh, misquoted people on purpose and, and robbed them of their money? Yeah. How come you didn't get rid of them? Well, I'm not there. Neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't work in Minneapolis. And once again, I agree with you. I'm in tune with you. What I saw in Minneapolis was 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 horrific and wrong. And, and no, 
there's, I can't find the strongest of terms to use against what I saw with some of these cases. I'm with you, but you can't put us all in the same basket. You can't. Uh, and, and once again, we also have to respect due process, uh, you know, of law. Uh, when officers do uh, uh, get involved in some of these things, there's a process, and we just have to trust the process to a degree. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.